Today's message and title is Barefruit Barns and Baptisms. Now, as Christians, we're not supposed to be only hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. And we're going to see in verse 10 today that it says, Every tree that which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Now, I don't know about you all, but uh, if we're talking about a physical sense, like the martyrs of old, or if we're even talking about an eternal sense, um, being burnt up in an unquenchable fire, now you can count me out. <laughs> but let me ask you the question. It says, uh, excuse me, let me back this up. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to break this down and we're going to look at the three aspects here. Uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to look at fruit. We're going to go ahead and we're going to look at the wheat inside of the barn. And lastly, we're going to go ahead and look at the baptism of Jesus. Now, let me ask you this question. Do we need to be baptized? Just muse on that. <laughs> that question will be answered as we go through uh, Matthew in chapter 3. Now, it's interesting because here it is. We jump right from Jesus' birth that we celebrated last, uh, last week uh, right up into his baptism. So we have these silent years of Christ. And there's some 28 or 29 years where really there's nothing recorded within the scripture. Um, now, uh, there is the uh, Apocrypha which are the works or written works that are, have either an unknown authorship or uh, they're not sure as far as their authenticity. So there are books that, that weren't necessarily included in the Bible. And in there, there are some early stories of, uh, of uh, Jesus' life. There's one of, a, of him healing a little bird and, a, and his broken wings. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, there's even uh, coming out, or as a matter of fact, I think it might have come out this week, uh, the movie, The Young Messiah. And... I would encourage you to go ahead and support movies like this, to support movies like uh, Risen that also just came out two weeks ago. But please remember, as producers sometimes attempt to keep the storyline as close to the scriptures as possible, remember in the end, it's just a movie. Um, you know, if you really um, want scripture, and accuracy, look no further than the book that's in your lap right now, okay? But it, I believe it is important. We need to support uh, movies that are out there like that, um, especially with all the garbage that Hollywood puts out on a regular basis. So go out there and do that. But again, in the end, look for the truth right here. Now, you see, the Lord saw fit to keep these years silent. And Outside of a small portion when we read in Luke of when he was 12 years old, which we find out that he's a very unique young man. <coughs> that's all that we have. But that story will be left for another time and another gospel. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we come before you today. And Lord, I'm excited and I look forward to the fact that we can delve into your scripture, that we can look at your word, Lord, and you will present to us not fiction or uh, stories or things that might have been, but instead your truth, your word, your inerrant word. And God, we thank you so very much for that. 
And Lord, I just pray that today you would allow us as we look at all of these different things that maybe that inside there would be the stirring of the hearts for those that need to just get a little bit closer to you. Lord, that there would be a stirring inside of our hearts to make sure that we're not one of the ones that are broken off or cast into the fire. Lord, we would just know that as we look at your son and what he did, we can follow him as our example. So, Lord, I just pray. Lord, I will always ask that anything that is of me and of man, that you would allow it to fall on deaf ears. But, God, that which is of you, etch it upon our hearts. And let it not just be something that is uh, kept within these four walls, but instead, let us bring it out to the rest of the world. Lord, know how much we love you, how much we thank you. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So open up into your Bibles to chapter 3 as we go ahead and follow along with our Matthew 3. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Esaias, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Mm. 
So we go ahead and we start off with verse 1 in chapter 3. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. John the Baptist. Why was he called John the Baptist? Was he proclaiming his religious denomination? If so, then we know that he wasn't a Methodist. He wasn't a Presbyterian. And since he was born in Judea or around Judea, which was south of Jerusalem, then I think that settles it. John was a Southern Baptist. <laughs> okay, all joking aside, let's take a look at his name, though. John, or in Hebrew, Yohanan, means grace by Yah, or Yahweh is gracious. So John, as a voice in the desert, is one who proclaims God's grace. What is God's grace, or better yet, who is the ultimate representation of God's grace here on earth? Jesus. Remember the definition of grace. It is the free and unmerited favor of God as manifest in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. How are we saved? Saved through Jesus, by his death, by his sacrifices for our sins. So, why is he called John the Baptist? Well, because we're going to read in verse 6, he baptized people. So we're jumping here from the birth of Jesus to John the Baptist, who was preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. That is, John the Baptist is the one who Isaiah spoke of, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Now, when I read this, I kind of think of John the Baptist like this. Michael York, you know, that, that grungy, dirty kind of guy and everything like that. And what was it that he, that he his delicacy? Yeah, locusts and honey. I don't know, if I saw that set before me, I wouldn't be like, mmm, yumbo, thank you, honey. Notice he was never married either. Could you imagine that, ladies, having to look at this and like, oh, Give me a kiss, honey. You get it? Honey, wild honey and locusts. Sorry, that's as good as it gets, folks. <laughs> that's all I got. That's all I got. Yeah. But, I mean, now, if we, as we look at this, now, whether the locust is actually the insect of the grasshopper family or the carabut tree where the fruit of it was shaped like a, like a uh, locust and looked kind of like a grasshopper, um, we're not exactly sure. But some say that that long carabin bean, uh, the fruit that grows on the carabin tree, was what he was actually eating. Okay? Um, others say that it was, you know, a grasshopper. <laughs> you know, it was that locust. And some people in this world actually consider that a delicacy. Just like escargot. <coughs> but hey, each man to his own taste, I guess. Uh, you know, some people tell me that it's good. I can't eat them. I'd prefer to get my calories some other way. As we go on and we take a look at verse 5, it says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the regions around Jordan went out to him, 
and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Broad of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance. Now, this is <laughs> the opinion of John and the religious scholars. Broad of vipers. I love that. I love that. Broad of vipers, who warned you to flee? You see, this is me so often. I want people to get what's coming to them. I arrest somebody, and then I learn that the DA never followed, filed on them. Yeah. Why didn't they file on him? But that's my flesh. When it comes to me, though, oh, God, give me mercy and grace. <laughs> and can't we be that way sometimes? We are so quick to judge others, but when it comes to ourselves, mercy and grace, God, mercy and grace. Now, <laughs> don't you think that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious men of that day, wanting to die to self and be born again would be a good thing? Them coming to see, you know, coming to the baptism? It's kind of like when you're watching a movie, though, and throughout it, there's that one bad guy, or better yet, that traitor who goes ahead and betrays the main character. And throughout the movie, we, we see him getting away again and again with his evil plans. But then when they finally get theirs, you want to stand up and cheer, yes! <laughs> he had it coming to him. Good job. Good job. And you see this here. It, you, you know, John's saying the same thing. Why are you coming to me? You're going to get yours. Oh, yes. You're, you're getting what you're coming, okay? What's coming to you. And, but I think the thing and the key that we need to look at here is the next line. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now, there's a lot of people who claim, oh, I repent. But there's no fruit of their repentance in their lives. You don't really see any sign of repentance. Now, repentance means to change. And if a person doesn't really make those real changes in their lives, then there is reason to doubt their sincerity of their repentance. And so John is laying into these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and calling them a generation of vipers. And he says, let's see you bring forth some fruit that you really repented. You see, other people were being baptized and repenting of their sins. They were turning away from their sins. And these individuals came along. And then the Sadducees and Pharisees in with them. And John said, oh no, I'm not going to baptize you. Let's see your fruit first. And we see those people in life, don't we? Right? Those that go out. I know I've arrested people for drinking and driving. And oh, I'm so sorry, officer. I'm so sorry. And then a few months later, they're in the back of my patrol car again. Okay? Was there fruit there? No. I've seen people steal thousands of dollars. And they say, oh, forgive me. So sorry. But they never return a cent. And I feel like John the Baptist. Well, let's see some of your fruit, the fruit of repentance, if you're really sorry. 
Verse 9. And do not think to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. You know, that was their great boast. That we are the sons of Abraham. They naturally thought that this constituted their salvation. And you know, I think there's a lot of people here in the United States that believe the same way. I'm an American, so I must be a Christian. Right? I mean, I say the Pledge of Allegiance. It says under God in it. Still. For now. So you can't think that I'm some kind of a pagan. And the Jews have the same attitude. I'm a son of Abraham. But John said, don't think that this is any big deal. Why? Because God can turn these stones into sons of Abraham. Verse 10. And even now, as the axe is laid to the root of the tree, therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, Jesus in the 15th chapter of John talks about the vine and the branches. Every branch in me that does not bring forth fruit shall be cut off, and men gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burnt. The time has come, Jesus said, but their fruit, ye shall know them. By their fruit, ye shall know them. That's in Matthew 7, 16. And John says, bring forth the fruit. Now, also, if you remember in Mark 11, here it was. Um, the Lord said, Excuse me, uh, in Mark 11, Jesus was with his disciples, and he was hungry, and he saw a fig tree. And he came to them, but there, it came to it, but there was no fruit, and he curses the fig tree. And the next day, they were coming back to the Mount of Olives along the path, and the disciples looked at the tree, and Jesus had cursed, the tree that, the, that Jesus had cursed the day before, and it had withered away and died overnight. And we find that here in Mark 11, 12, and 14. Now, the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves. He went to see if perhaps it would, he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for the figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. And then he goes on later on in, in that uh, chapter, and he says, in verse 20, now in the morning, as they had passed by, they saw the fig tree had died up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. They said, Lord, look at that tree that you cursed yesterday. Man, that thing is withered. It's dead already. Now, remember, in Scripture, the fig tree is representative of the nation of Israel. So the Lord was looking to the nation of Israel that it would bring forth fruit. And here John the Baptist is saying, at uh, the, time, the time the axe is going to be laid to the root, that is to Israel itself. The tree that does not bring forth good fruit is going to be cut down. Now on one hand, you think, I think that this should kind of scare us a little bit, you know? If God's willing to do this to his very own children, 
then what about us? Well, I say, people, it's time to get fruity and fast. <laughs> but then Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans, Romans 11, and he writes, For the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support, uh, that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Paul goes on. Yep, no, he's finished. <laughs> you see, God cut off the natural branches that he might graft in the branches contrary to the nature. The Gentile believers that they might partake of the fatness of that tree. That's you and I, people. So that the nation of Israel rejected because of their rejection, was rejected because of their rejection of the Messiah. God gave them their Messiah. He gave them their opportunity, and yet they rejected it. And so the gospel is brought to the Gentiles and the Jew alike, so that no matter whether you are Gentile or Jew, there is only one way of salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. John said in verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Ah, there it is, John the Baptist. Now we get it. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, when we sing Chris Tomlin's How Great Is Our God, we sing the verse, the lion and the lamb. And we see that a lot throughout scripture. Jesus being portrayed as both, as both the lamb and the lion. However, I think that as we just went over the Christmas story last time, we tend to believe that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and our loving Savior is probably the one that most of us identify with, right? Yeah. And I have to admit, sometimes I struggle. I struggle with a Savior that teaches to turn the other cheek. You see, God has gifted me as a warrior. And he's given me charge to watch over the flock. Whether that be the flock that's sitting in here or the flock that's out on the roadways right now. And you see, I am to combat evil. So in the passage, what we see here in our Savior is the Lamb who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and then the Lion who we see in Revelation is coming back and baptizing with fire. And for this warrior, that kind of makes me feel good. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, 
Here it is, if you look, here's a picture of a threshing floor over in the Middle East. And basically, um, what you have here is bringing out all of the wheat, putting it onto the floor, and they would beat it. Um, they would go ahead and bring it about. Sometimes they would have animals that would go ahead and ride around, and that's what's called a threshing sled up, sledge uh, that's up there. And then ultimately, that you can see a picture of the fans that they used in order to go ahead and separate those grains, those kernels of wheat. Now, I had the uh, privilege of going back east, and I took my family out. We went to George Washington's estate on Mount Vernon. Not only was he an amazing man, not only was he incredibly intelligent, the first president of the United States, and also the, being compared to the Joshua of America, he was a very, very smart man. And one of the things that I enjoyed as I'm going through his estate was his threshing floor. Here it was. He had a barn that was three stories. On the second story, what you saw here was where the horse would go around in the circle and they would lay the wheat down. But on the threshing floor, what they had was small gaps in between so that as the horse was going around, those grains, those kernels would naturally fall through to the first one, making it much easier for those with the winnowing fans and everything in order to separate that chaff. But on top of that, on the third floor, you see the horse was hooked up and it turned the mills, the millstones that would grind the wheat as well. So using, using that ingenuity, using that, that, that intelligence that God blessed him with, and it was an amazing thing. But as we come to the threshing floor, and as we're looking at it here, and the fans or the threshing floor uh, that would blow out all of the chaff and everything, and the only thing that would be left would be the wheat. So, Along these lines, here again, we have that comparison. And I think it's important. Yes, Jesus is our Savior. Yes, he forgives us of our sins. We are in the age or the dispensation of grace. But people don't ever get too comfortable with your sin. He is good. He's good to forgive, and his mercy abounds. But don't ever forget, there are those in the last days that will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And to me, these are probably the most frightening words in Scripture. I think of how many have said that. How many, like I said before, just because they name the name or think that they're an American, that they can go ahead and call themselves Christians. Or I believe in God. But yet, even the demons themselves believe. So remember, do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. Jesus is coming again, folks, not to bring peace, but to bring the sword. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you? Are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. John objected, but Jesus sets aside the objections, declaring that it was necessary that he set as an example. Now, Peter says, 
For Christ has set an example for us that we should follow in his steps. And we read that in 1 Peter 2.21. Because Jesus had nothing to repent, remember he was without sin. John hesitates. Jesus was doing it actually as an example for us, as Peter declares. What is it that baptism declares? Well, baptism declares the superiority of the super, uh, excuse me, the spiritual over the material. The life of the spiritual over the life of the flesh. That proclamation that Jesus had to make, and that's why the world got angry with him, because they or we are living after the flesh and after the desires of the flesh. But Jesus was declaring that of the spiritual life that is superior to the fleshly life. That is the message of the word of God all the way through. It's the superiority of the spiritual life over the fleshly life. That is baptism represents the death of the fleshly life, the old life, the old nature, the old man, our old ambitions, old desires, dead, buried, as we go beneath the water. And that new life coming out of the water, that life of the Spirit and its superiority over the flesh. I asked the question when we started, do we need to be baptized? Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke 23, verse 39. Verse 39 through 43. Then one of the criminals who hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, Rebuke him, re re saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Was the thief on the cross baptized? No. Yet Jesus says to him, today you will be in heaven with me. You see, baptism isn't a salvational issue. But just as we were talking about, about bearing fruit, being doers of the word, Jesus showing us as an example. You know, when I was in the army, I had a company commander that came up to me one time and he made a suggestion. And my first sergeant came over to me and he said, son, he goes, if the company commander makes a suggestion, it's not a suggestion. So, is baptism necessary for salvation? No. It's just merely a suggestion from our commander. So as Christ gives us that example, it might be a good idea to treat it as an order. Verse 16. When he had been baptized... Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
aligning upon him. And suddenly a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Notice Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descends upon him and the voice of the father speaking from heaven, this is my beloved son. Here we have the Trinity, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit all combined in one. Now, we can use all kinds of different analogies when we try to explain the Trinity. We could use a glass of ice water. And the water being in solid state or the ice cubes, in a liquid state as the water in the glass, and as it evaporates, there it is, we have the vapor or gas. So the same substance, yet in three different states, yet one. Or we could use the egg analogy, where you have the shell, you have the yolk and the egg whites, Three parts that make up the whole. And you know, the Trinity is actually one of the reasons why the Islamic religions believe that we are polytheists. Because they can't understand the fact of that three in one and think that we worship three separate gods as opposed to their one and only God, Allah, who has no son. And if you look, that's actually on the side of the Dome of the Rock. For there is only one God and he has no son. See, the Trinity is as simple as an egg, yet as complicated as trying to understand and comprehend how three separate beings can be one. If you get confused, just go ahead and reread Matthew 3, 16, 17, again and again and again. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The proud father could not hold back his delight in his son saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus said in John 8, 29, I do all things that please the Father. Thus he lived a perfect life, a life of total fulfillment. In Revelations 4, 11, it says, as the elders are ascribing glory to God there before the throne of God, as the cherubim are declaring, verse 8, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which is, which was, which is to come. And the 24 elders take their little gold vials filled with incense, probably frankincense, cast them before the sea, the crystal sea, and fall on their faces and declare, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy good pleasure they are and were created. There's the explanation of why God created you. For his good pleasure. Now maybe you're saying, I don't like that. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> you can't change it. But that's the way it is. And if you fight it, you're going to live a life of frustration. But if you become obedient... And in harmony with it, you're going to have a life of glorious fulfillment. When a person can say, as Jesus, I do always those things that please the Father, I will tell you, you have got a perfect life. So God is testifying. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. 
Is God pleased with your fruit? Are you the wheat in the barn? Have you been baptized yet? If the answer to any of these questions is no, then you know what to do. Bear fruit. Check your barn and get baptized. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you, God. Thank you so very much for giving us the scripture. Thank you for allowing us, Lord, the opportunity to go through it. It is such a privilege to go through your inerrant word. And Lord, I pray, I pray that there's, there's anybody here that has been stirred or moved. Lord, that truly it would not be something that is just kept here. But truly, it is something that they bring throughout the rest of their lives. Lord, they would bring to their families. They would bring to the rest of the community and the world. Stir them that we might just be and bear much fruit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen.